this was final because it could who knows what the heck could could have happened to cause this deal to fall through but uh twitter is now privately owned by elon musk and a few other investors he gathered up uh he pretty much got from the sounds of things every bank that wasn't already associated with twitter uh on his bandwagon and with a good chunk of his own money and the uh, loans from a few other investors and the support of the Twitter shareholders, from what I understand, he was able to purchase Twitter. Uh, the board got pressure from the shareholders. And, of course, boards as they will, I mean, I'm sure they all had a golden parachute uh, to fall back on but nonetheless they gave in and, and gave the company to Elon Musk um, so in the wake of this the European Union and maybe they, they started this before uh, Elon did his, th his thing but I find it strange that this came out a few days after uh, Elon began his, his real hard push to purchase Twitter. Uh, the Digital Services Act, uh, Council, and European Parliament, uh, provisional agreement for making the Internet a safer place for European citizens. Euro the, the European Union and these, uh, this other board think that they have to protect their citizens from the internet. Okay. So, starts off, it sounds good. Anything that's illegal offline should be illegal online. And then it gets very vague. Dissemination of illegal content. Well, Who's to judge what's illegal and what's not? We already have laws on that. Uh, you know, you would think child pornography, threats of murder, death against people. Um, those things are already illegal. Doesn't matter where you do it. A death threat is a death threat uh, from the way I understood it anyhow. Um... 
And you gotta remember something too, in Europe and a lot of the world, they do not have freedom of speech like we have here in the United States. Although I think it's under attack in the United States, but we'll get into that. Um, it says, thing, uh, adverse effects of fundamental rights. Well, fundamental rights are not spelled out as much in the rest of the world as they are in the United States Constitution. So what, who, what, when, where, and why do they decide what are the fundamental rights? And who interprets whether or not my tweet or Facebook post is infringing on someone's fundamental rights? Interesting. Uh, manipulation of the democratic process, like the safest, most secure, fair election in history that we just had in the United States. Is that what they're talking about? Uh, some countries where um, opposition parties to the ruling party have already shut down Twitter in their nation in days leading up to an election. Uh, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was somewhere on the African continent. Well, now will Europe do the same thing? Countries in Europe, I should say. And of course, the, the next is adverse effects on gender-based violence and children. Now, we all want to protect children from sexual predators. I think that's already being taken care of, at least here in the United States. Every so often, sadly, you hear about somebody who's online uh, trying to recruit a child for sexual relations, and they are actually talking to a police officer, and thank God the police officer catches them, and uh, they serve time for, you know, child pornography, soliciting a minor, things like that, and that's disgusting, and yeah, that needs to be taken care of, but gender-based we're not talking they're not talking about you know guys saying women are bad drivers or wives saying my husband can't cook uh they're talking about protecting the lgbtqia groups which are already protected under all kinds of other laws about discrimination, violence, just like the rest of us are. Now they want to extend it to online. Without going off that deep end, really what this European Digital Services Act is talking about is silencing voices. We don't mill around the barber shop like they did when I was a kid and every Saturday morning you'd go in there and catch up on all the latest town gossip from the guys and the women who would go to the beauty shop and do their town gossip no this is this is deeper 
This is anything you say can and will be held against you in court. Attack on free speech, uh, which really they don't have much of in Europe to begin with. Um, now the Democrats and the Biden administration, who were encouraging private companies to censor people before, now all of a sudden they want to take a look at the Section 230 uh of the United States Code, which lets internet platforms, content hosts off the hook saying they're not responsible for what you or I post. Uh, if me or you posts uh, a death threat which I never would, but if we did, the content provider, Twitter for this example, is not responsible. I'm responsible for that, which I should be. And I'm not for any government getting involved in regulating the internet in anything. Uh, it, it just goes down a dark path. But... Now the Democrats also looking into laws to censor what they call disinformation. Uh, in other words, if I go out and say Dr. Falsey is wrong, the vaccine doesn't work, which <laughs> it doesn't, based on the number of people who have caught COVID since they got vaccinated, when it was supposed to be a, a brick wall to, that was going to prevent... It's the Trump vaccine. My boy pushed it through. Okay, he cut out the red tape. His administration gave the pharmaceutical companies uh, asylum from uh, persecution, prosecution and um, civil lawsuits if the vaccine went wrong okay so I'm not just picking on Joe Biden but our government gave companies a free reign for this vaccine that doesn't work okay so if I say that that could be considered disinformation and I could be censored for that or fined maybe or uh, the government could tell Twitter to ban me that's not free speech. That's not America. But now the Democrats are all for these laws. Now let's see how much the Republicans stick to their guns when they were for, uh, you know, fighting Section 230, when they were for uh, fighting the tech oligarchs. Elon Musk is not a conservative or a Republican. If anything, he's... Uh, I don't even think he would be a libertarian. He's very liberal in some of his thoughts and ideas. So he's not one of us. He's not a conservative, but because he believes in basic freedoms, he's now branded the evil conservative, banded, uh, branded, pardon me, uh, a, fr a friend of Trump, and therefore evil in the eyes of the Democrats and the liberal media 
uh, and so a lot of liberal people are talking about, I'm going to quit Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Elon Musk is going to take Twitter, find a way to make it profitable, which it hasn't been real profitable off its ad revenue. He will find a way to make money off of this and keep things free and open. So this is going to be interesting stuff, but now the Democrats want to pass laws now that they don't have their big tech friend, one of their big tech friends to protect them. And it kind of shows their hand that, you know, when the Hunter Biden laptop was uh, a buried lead, that when they censored that story, locked the New York uh, what was it, the New York Post, or the New York, no, it wasn't the Times, anyways, the New York Post uh, story, they locked their account, they couldn't, the New York Post couldn't uh, share its content, and you couldn't retweet it, they locked the president's press secretary's private account, so she couldn't retweet the uh, Hunter Biden laptop story, which would have changed the outcome of the election. 17% of Biden voters, Biden voters, said they would have voted differently if they knew he was in on all of these crooked business deals. That's the real story, the Biden crime family's crooked deals. And it was censored by tech, Facebook, Twitter, Google, they censored it. So, with that, Democrats for less freedom, more censorship. We'll see where the Republicans go on this. I'm going to take a quick break and pay some bills, and we'll be right back to think about Edward Snowden and Julian Assange for a minute here. couple years ago, or a lot of years ago really, this Julian Assange and Edward Snowden became public names, almost household names if you're political news nerd and such, right? They broke news about, uh, with Assange it was war crimes in Iraq. Uh, and, and he dumped a lot of other information too. He dumped uh, WikiLeaks, dumped you know Hillary Clinton emails and different scandals like that leading up to the 2016 election. 
whether that had uh, an effect or whether it was just you know Hillary hate, who knows? But uh, he released a lot of information that he was given on this site WikiLeaks. I recently learned, and I, maybe I forgot it over time, or maybe I never knew. Assange is not even an American citizen. I know he'd been running around the world seeking asylum from the prosecution in the United States for espionage, but uh, really didn't know a lot about the guy. And it turns out, from what I'm learning now, the things he leaked did more to hurt the the higher-ups in the military brass. See, I always thought he leaked sensitive information about U.S. troop movements uh, that were taking place in real time or were going to take place. And the American media painted it as he gave away secrets that could hurt the troops on the ground. And then now I'm finding out that wasn't the case. I'm not saying Assange is a hero, but I'm saying I don't think he's evil. I don't think he's a bad guy anymore. But the way the American media portrayed him, you're like, whoa, this guy's terrible. He's giving away our secrets, you know, giving up the goods on the United States military and putting our troops at risk. Uh, Edward Snowden. There are many documentaries. I think there's a, a movie called Snowden. Uh, it was... You were made to think that he gave away... Well, he did give away classified information. But it wasn't what you think. It wasn't about... As much about, you know, some secret operation that... CIA was doing to protect the United States and things like that. So let's look here at, at an article I find, I found, pardon me. Let me look at the indictment on Julian Assange first. So uh, at times material to this indictment Chelsea Manning, formerly known as Bradley Manning, was an intelligence analyst in the United States Army who was deployed to a forward operation base, uh, forward operation base Hammer in Iraq. Manning held a top secret security clearance and signed a classified information non-disclosure agreement acknowledging that the unauthorized disclosure or retention or negligent handling of classified information could cause uh, irreparable injury to the United States or be used to the advantage of a foreign nation. Executive Order 13.562 and its predecessor orders define the classification levels assigned to classified information. It's not real important to me. <coughs> Julian Paul Assange 
was the founder of and leader of the WikiLeaks website. The WikiLeaks website publicly solicited submissions of classified, censored, or and other redacted information. Assange, who did not possess a security clearance or need to know, was not authorized to receive classified information from the United States. So there's the big charge. He is not classified. He is not legally allowed to have any quote-unquote classified information about the United States military government or their activities. But this Chelsea or Bradley Manning gave it to him. Between in or around January 2010 and May 2010, Manning downloaded four nearly complete databases from departments and agencies of the United States. These databases contained approximately 90,000 Afghan war-related significant activity papers, 400,000 Iraq war significant activity reports, 800 Guantanamo Bay detainee assessment briefs, and 25,000, or pardon me, 250,000 U.S. Department of State cables. So these were all things that happened in the past, okay? Many of these records were classified pursuant to Executive Order 13562 or 13562 or its predecessor orders. Manning provided the records to agents of WikiLeaks so WikiLeaks could publicly disclose them on its websites. WikiLeaks publicly released the vast majority of the classified records on its website in 2010 and 2011. I remember this, and it was a shitstorm of information uh, that came out about United States activities uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, it says, on or about March 8, 2010, Assange agreed with to assist Manning in cracking a password code on the United States Department of Defense computers connected with a secret Internet Protocol Network, the United States government used for classified documents and communications, as designated according to Executive Order 13526, or its predecessors. Manning, who had access to the computers in connection with her duties as an intelligence analyst, was also using the computers to download classified records and transmit to WikiLeaks. Army regulations prohibited Manning from attempting to bypass or circumvent security mechanisms on government-provided information systems from sharing personal accounts and authenticators such as passwords. skip down here Manning gave to Assange to crack was stored as hash value in a computer file 
that was accessible only by users with administrative privileges. Manning did not have administrative level uh, privileges, used special software, namely Linksys uh, operating system to access the computer file and obtain the portion of it uh, of the password to provide to Assange. Uh, see here. It says, for example, March 7, 2010, Manning Assange discussed the value of Guantanamo Bay detainee assessment briefs and on March 8, 2010, before entering the password cracking agreement, Manning told Assange that she was throwing everything she had on JTF Gitmo at Assange now. After this upload, that's all I really have got left. So they were finding information that the United States government didn't want citizens to see. And there's good reason for that most of the time. But there's also dirty little secrets in our government. Maybe like torture programs. Uh, now, I don't have a lot of sympathy for the people detained at Gitmo. Most of them are terrorists. Uh, some of the planners of the 9-11 and some of, well, the people that carried it out are all dead, but people that carried it out behind the scenes are at Gitmo. Um, but rumors have it there are other prisoners there that are maybe just enemies of the state. Assange indicted, uh, or pardon me, this is from The Guardian, by the way, and switching from an actual indictment, what I just read to you, to an article. Uh, this is more than a year old. Assange indictment fails to mention WikiLeaks video that, ex that exposed U.S. war crimes in Iraq. Uh, the prosecution of one of WikiLeaks' most shocking video revelations in the indictment against Julian Assange, a move that has brought accusations uh, the U.S. doesn't want its war crimes exposed in public. Assange, an Australian citizen, is remained and in ill health in London's uh, Belmarsh prison while the U.S. tries to extradite him to face 18 charges, 17 under its Espionage Act for conspiracy to receive and disclose classified information. This could get him up to 175 years in jail, which dude, from what I've heard, probably has a, a few years left on his life because he is in really bad health. <coughs> <coughs> and these are two people, Assange and Edward Snowden, that a lot of people wanted Trump to pardon at the end of his presidency. Which he did not. Now, I trust in Trump, so I must say he had good reason not to from his uh, advisors. But what did Assange really do wrong? Okay, he got his hands on classified information. 
Did he put the American citizens at risk by doing this? No. Did he put our military troops on the ground at risk by doing this? Doesn't look like it to me. Um, see here. One of the most famous WikiLeaks releases was a video filmed from a U.S. Apache helicopter, Crazy Horse 1-8, as it moved down, or mowed down, pardon me, 11 people on 12 July 2007 in Iraq. The video starkly highlights the lax rules of engagement that allowed the killing of men who were neither engaged nor threatening U.S. forces. Two of those crazy horse 1-8 killed in East Baghdad that day were Reuters photographer Namir Noor Aldine, 22, and a driver-slash-fixer Saeed Chama, 40. Their Baghdad bureau chief at the time was Dean Yates, said the U.S. military. Uh, or pardon me, he said the U.S. military repeatedly lied to him and the world about what happened. And it was only when Assange released the video, which WikiLeaks posted with the title Collateral Murder in April 2010, that the full brutal truth of killing the killings were exposed. So, one thing, I am very lenient towards the side of the United States soldiers when it comes to rules of engagement. But this is guys in a helicopter shooting at people. Maybe they were told, hey, there's en that there are enemies in the area, and they fired and thought they were shooting at enemy targets. Uh... There, I don't know if there's sound that goes with this video that could uh, rebut what I just said, but nonetheless, what they were trying to do was expose war crimes uh, that the United States soldiers were perpetrating and that the United States military was keeping under wraps or covered up. I have mixed feelings about that because I feel that one, the United States should be the the class act that we shouldn't kill innocent people at any time. But at the same time, sometimes it's hard to distinguish our enemies. Vietnam, for example, the the person you pass in the rice paddy during the daylight is your enemy after dark. Uh, the same things applied in Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, you might see a citizen walking down the street during the day. They pay no mind to you. You pay no mind to them. And then later on, they walk up to you with a bomb strapped to them. Okay. Edward Snowden's story is a little different. He came up through, like, literally started at the bottom as a security guard with the CIA. They learned how good he was with computers and IT. 
uh, as he worked his way up through internships and other programs at the CIA. And then he was put uh, in, uh, let's see here, hold on a second. In Switzerland, I believe. Let's look here. By 2007, the CIA stationed, oh, pardon me, it was, yeah, Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, stationed him with diplomatic cover in Geneva, Switzerland. His responsibility was for maintaining computer network security, meant he had clearance to access a wide array of classified documents. This is where it gets interesting. That access, that access along with the almost three years he spent around CIA, CIA officers led him to begin seriously questioning the rights of what he saw, the rightness of what he saw. This is also from The Guardian. So he was questioning whether what he saw was right or wrong. He described, uh, he described as informative an indictment in which he claims CIA operatives were attempting to recruit a Swiss banker to obtain secret banking information. Snowden said they achieved this by purposely getting the banker drunk and encouraging him to drive home in his car. When the banker was arrested for drunk driving, the undercover agent seeking to befriend him offered help and a bond was formed that led to a successful recruitment. Well, that's pretty shady. We all know the CIA was shady, but this is bad. This proves it, right? Uh, this is a, a case, and he has the information to back it up. Uh, he says, quote, Much of what I saw in Geneva what, uh, really disillusioned me about how my government functions and what its impact is on the world. I realized that I was part of something that was doing more harm than good. He said during he said it was during his CIA stint in Geneva that he thought for the first time about exposing government secrets, but at the time he chose not to for two reasons. First, he said most of the secrets of the CIA were about people, not machines and systems, so I didn't feel comfortable with disclosures that I thought could endanger anyone. Secondly, the election of Barack Obama in 2008 gave him hope <coughs> excuse me, gave him hope that there would be real reforms rendering disclosures unnecessary. He left the CIA in 2009 in order to take his first job working for a private contractor that assigned him to function, uh, uh, pardon me, assigned him to a functioning NSA facility stationed on a military base in Japan. It was then he said he watched as Obama advanced the very policies that I thought he would rein in. 
and as I got and as a result I got hardened the primary reason for his experience primary lesson pardon me from his experience was that you can't wait around for someone else to act I had been looking for leaders and realized that leadership is about being the first to act so He's talking about our CIA spying on individuals, the NSA spying on individual people. Uh, gee, sounds a lot like what the FBI was doing to the Trump campaign with their illegal FISA warrants that came from the fake Steele dossier that was created by people paid by the Clinton campaign. <laughs> Uh, or let's look at you know the FBI raid on Project Veritas, supposedly over the Ashley Biden diary. Let's read on here. Over the next three years, he learned just how all-consuming the NSA's security activities were, claiming their intent they are intent on making every conversation and every form of behavior in the world known to them. So they want to monitor your Twitter, they want to monitor your instant messages, uh, things like that we're starting to hear. He described how he once viewed the internet as the most important invention in all human history. As an adolescent, he spent days at a time speaking to people with all sorts of views that I would never have encountered on my own. I don't see what I'm doing as a hero because I'm not self-interested. I don't want to live in a world where there's no privacy and therefore no room for intellectual exploration of creativity. Uh, it says the government granted itself power to power it is not entitled to. There is no public oversight. The result is people like myself have the latitude to go further than they are allowed to. So he could look into files and people's lives and things like that from his position in the NSA through a a private contractor his allegiance to the internet freedom is reflected in the sticker on his laptop I support online rights electronic frontier foundation reads one another hails online organization offering amenity the tour project So, asked by reporters to establish authenticity, he is not some fantasist. He laid bare, without hesitation, his personal details from his social security number to his CIA ID and expired diplomatic passport. There is no shiftiness. Ask him about anything in his personal life and he will answer. Uh, 
doing about the side of his bed are suitcases, a plate of remains of room service breakfast. He's hiding out in a hotel at the point this article was written. A biography on Dick Cheney. <laughs> Let's see here. He says, I carefully evaluate every document I disclose to ensure that each was gen- uh, legitimately in the public interest. He said, there are all sorts of documents that would have made a big impact that I didn't turn over because harming people isn't my goal. Transparency is. He purposely chose, he said, to give documents to journalists whose judgment he trusted. Uh, He's hoping to get, was hoping to get asylum in Iceland. So he's basically under the same pressure that Assange was under. uh, Where he could end up going to jail for publishing classified information. But it was stuff that the CIA was getting and the NSA were getting on private individuals or things like this uh, conspiracy to set somebody up for drunk driving and have them arrested and then the CIA get them out of jail and then turn them into a CIA operative. Pretty shady stuff, if you ask me, but... I don't think as lowly of Edward Snowden. He's a very intelligent guy. Very um, boring to listen to him talk. I listen to him on, try to listen to him on the Joe Rogan podcast, but his voice puts me to sleep. But this is a guy that was painted by the American media as a terrible person. Uh, someone who turned his back on the United States uh, almost like a spy himself so really once I learned the truth about what these people did and stopped listening to the mainstream media and started listening to other vloggers or internet or independent media outlets like Veritas or Tim Pool uh, Steven Crowder to an extent you realize these guys aren't so bad they're not what the media painted them to be and you see that they're not what the government told the media to paint them to be take another break here because this is uh, time for a reset and then I'll come back and have my little Hugh Hefner rant because when I was growing up he was the man he was the hero 
the playboy, the guy you wanted to be like with all the ladies. Back in a second. Every kid had that first, every boy anyways, had that first Playboy experience. Hey, come look at my dad's Playboys. Hey, look at my uncle's Playboys. You know, we all had that one relative who had a Playboy collection. I don't know why guys hang on to their Playboy magazines, but they did. Um, and Hugh Hefner... Had all these beautiful women around him. At times he had, you know, quote, seven girlfriends. Um, he brought, went out to nightclubs, had seven women dressed scantily clad, let's put it nicely. Um, and then props to Holly Madison, his ex-number one girlfriend. She was the girl that predominantly slept in Hef's bed at night and depending on what you see and what you listen to uh, on the reality show Girls Next Door and by Holly's admission there was a time when she thought her and Hef would have kids even though he's like 50 or 60 years her senior uh I remember seeing, before the Girls Next Door even started, um, there was, I guess it was like a precursor, to a doc, not documentary, it was on E, so whatever the hell kind of documentaries E Network does, and Holly's on there talking about, you know, yeah, me and Hef have sex all the time, and it's not Viagra, because I've jumped him by surprise, and, you know... He didn't take a Viagra, basically. Um, then later on in her book, uh, was it Down the Bunny Hole? And then there was some kind of subtitle to catch your attention. She talked about how sex with Hef was a chore, and she you know, would have to get really drunk on the nights that she knew they were going to have sex, like, they all went out on Thursday night to clubs and she would have to get excessively intoxicated. Uh, Kendra Wilkinson has talked about another girl from the girls next door, talked about having to be so high and drunk when it was her night to have sex with half. Uh, Bridget Marquardt, the uh, third girl next door I haven't heard much from. But over time especially after his death, but I give Holly a lot of credit because she was the first to expose what was really going on at the mansion behind the scenes. But the girls from the 90s, the 80s, 70s, they really <coughs> describe some vulgar, nasty things. And Hugh Hefner, in my mind, and in other, some people's minds and others not, 
uh, he's gone from being a playboy, the cool guy that we all wanted to be like because he had all the ladies, to really a creeper. And not just a creepy old man. I mean, he was doing this stuff when he was, uh, from the time he was 27 and founded Playboy and when it became popular and then he wanted to be popular and one of the cool kids in Hollywood and would basically do anything to be accepted and never really was accepted by the entertainment industry. They always The entertainment business always saw Playboy as kind of a, a fringe uh, element of entertainment and therefore saw Hef in the same light even though you know a lot of people considered him famous and a celebrity himself but you know people like Bill Cosby uh, Jim Brown from the Cleveland Browns uh, arguably the best running back of all time uh, I don't think he was I think Bo Jackson was and Bo Jackson never violated anyone in the Playboy Mansion so but you know, how Hef would give girls quaaludes and call them thigh openers uh, back in the 70s and 80s. You know, I kind of went from when he died, I said, you know, thanks for the memories or something, Hef, or something like that, to, man, I hope you're in hell. <laughs> um... There was a girl who committed suicide in the 70s, and they tried to cover it up. Hef had his own connections in the Los Angeles Police Department. He had videos, and uh, not videos, it was like film, actual uh, movie film back then, uh, not digital or cell phone video like now. Uh, but anyways, he had you know photos and videos of all sorts of important people doing all kinds of acts. Uh, he filmed and recorded everything that went on in that mansion to have blackmail video on people. So anyways, when this girl committed suicide, they found in her uh, house a picture of Hef with, you know, painted up to look like the devil. And it said, Hugh Hefner is Satan. And basically he let his buddies drug her and rape her. And it's like all this stuff's coming out now that he's gone. But had he lived a few weeks longer, he would be in the same boat with Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey uh, and all these other guys that we found out are, you know, pedophiles uh, rapist, uh, you know, Weinstein promised women or told women either have sex with me or watch me have sex with myself and I'll get you into movies. And, and he did for the ones that went along with him. But there's a story about Brad Pitt threatening to beat Harvey Weinstein up because, uh, I believe it was Daryl Hannah Weinstein tried this on and she went to Brad Pitt I guess they were friends or dating or something evidently and 
Brad Pitt was going to beat him up. And, uh, you know, Daryl Hannah, she's not as famous now as she once was, but she went on to have a stellar career. Brad Pitt went on to have an outstanding movie career uh, without the help of Harvey Weinstein. Uh, at least I don't think Harvey would help him after he threatened to beat him up. But anyhow, Hef would have been taken down with that whole Me Too movement and maybe arrested even if some of these women came forward before he died. And the stuff on the Playboy documentary, that the docu-series on A&E is grotesque and horrific. And... Some of the women have received backlash from it, from uh, other women or Hefner's sons and friends that said, well, he never did it to me. Oh, he never did it in front of me. Well, that's the <laughs> M.O. of every criminal, just about. I mean, did Jeffrey Dahmer cut people up? and eat them in front of other people? No. Uh, the only one that really... <laughs> only criminal I can think of off the top of my head that did things publicly to get public attention was Charles Manson. But, you know, Hef had a great marketing machine for himself and for his magazine and for the lifestyle that he wanted to uh, bring out the sexuality, the sexual liberation of women, he said. And it was never about the sexual liberation of women. It was all about the sexual revelation of men being dominant over women in a relationship. And yeah, he felt as a man, he was entitled to have multiple girlfriends. And the more powerful he became, the more famous he became the the more he wanted and the more sexual he became the more kinky and creepy he became you know uh, many ex-girlfriends will attest have attested to this um, so there's you know two stories of people that I once thought were bad guys that were hurting the United States and hurting our soldiers and then the story of Hef who I thought was cool and I thought you know wow I'd like to I don't know if I really wanted to be like him but you know uh, I mean I've always wanted to be married and to one woman for my life but a guy that I always thought was really cool a few years ago I was calling him like the coolest guy ever. And then since Holly Madison's book came out, and since this A&E documentary came out, it totally changed opinion. So I guess with time, what I'm trying to get at and all I'm trying to say is, over time your opinions of people and things can change from bad to good or from good to bad. And... You've got to keep an open mind and got to keep your eyes open and see what's really going on. What, what's the back story? What's the behind the scenes story? What is the, the what's the media or, and by media I, I mean you know the e network, the uh, 
History Channel, which I like. Um, newspapers, Internet Now, uh, you know, Inside Edition, Insider Magazine, People Magazine, uh, all these sources of information. You know, Newsweek, The Wall Street Journal, whatever it is. You've got to look at more than one side of the story about a person, place, or event and see what's really going on there and decide for yourself. So I just want to kind of do that because, uh, wow, man, has my opinion of you know what Edward Snowden and Julian Assange done, did, changed. Uh, has how my opinion of Hugh Hefner has changed. So I'll put links to some stuff about Assange and Snowden in the description on Rumble so you can read up on it for yourself. But I just wanted to kind of go over some things that I've been thinking about and get this out there. And uh, basically how opinions change over time. So... God bless y'all. Pray for each other. Y'all have a great, great day. Great night. God bless y'all.